I think that is super stupid for every reason except one. And that's a minute of my life I'm never going to get back, and I hate you for it. But the only reason I like it is you know my theory, right? That the referees changed their call because you were doing this? I don't. I I take no responsibility. (laughs) If that happens, we're going to know it's true. Expect goalie talk and maybe some complaints. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by the GMC Sierra, Merrick Friedman, and Dom Shramati. Now, I got a few things I want to get off my chest. Now, now hold on. Before before we get some things off your chest, and by the way... Oh, they're heavy, though. They're really weighing down on me, Elliot. I need to I, I, I can imagine, myself. and I'm sure all the Carolina Hurricanes fans are really enjoying you killing them every time they go into an overtime just twice you saying let's watch all just, that chess now and no, they lose it, it's, it's just twice. Against, again it's just nashville and forsberg killed them and then i want to talk about what happened on sunday night in that overtime okay but first of all i just want to announce this is the first ever merrick friedman 32 thoughts poker podcast i am actually ah. pl- Playing a game at my buddy's place tonight. It's one of our regular games. It's the first time I've ever left the game to do the podcast. And I have to say, I am in violation of poker etiquette. And Mm. this has to go pretty quick because I am up money. (laughs) And anybody who plays cards knows that the worst thing you can do is leave the table when you're up money. Because those other people there, they want their money back. And I want to give them the opportunity to win it back. I once played with a guy, and you know who you are if you're listening to this, Mm. who left the table after winning money to talk to someone, and he was lucky he left with all four of his limbs. I don't want that fate to fall to me tonight, so I got to get back and give these people a chance to win their money back. First of all, I'm very impressed at something that you do on a consistent basis, and you've taken it to a whole new level today. You know what that is? What's that? I'm always impressed at the new creative and inventive ways you find to ignore me on the podcast. And today <laughs> you're actually doing the podcast while you're playing poker. No, Bravo, no, no. I left sir. the table. I left Bravo, the table. Sir. Oh, okay. Well, then I let me, left the table. Give me a quick chance to gross about something and then we'll get to actual right. news and things that happened over the weekend. Um, okay. As Elliot mentions, yes, I've been tweeting about the, the Aho Natchez overtime show, which is been really good it's just the last two times friday and then sunday uh, they didn't really get a chance to touch the puck and sunday specifically for all of you people out there for everybody who grouses about the endless neutral zone regroups and how it's become overtime has become very boring and stayed um and it's just you know playing percentages and can't waste a shot and possession and circle back i don't know elliot if I've ever seen a three-on-three, and listen, people track these things. They can tell me if I'm wrong. I think that is the most that a team has controlled the puck in overtime, but controlled it in their own zone. Washington owned the puck and just did circles in their own zone the entire time. Now, one, I thought to myself, okay, maybe that's because Carolina defensively is so good, and they are. Like, they are exceptional. And a great play by Brady Shea on the goal line to, to save it. Uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. Like, they're great tactically. So maybe that's one thing. And then the other thing I thought of, well, maybe they're thinking to themselves, let's just get to the shootout because Darcy Kemper is perfect in the shootout this season. For all those people that gross about the overtime and say that it's become boring, that overtime was a protein shake for them. That's the one you put up there and say, this is why overtime needs to change, Elliot. I have to say, I didn't think I'd see a worse overtime than the one on Saturday between Minnesota and Vancouver until this I saw was, that one this, on Sunday. This was worse. It was it was almost <laughs> as if Spencer Carberry, known as oh. the carburetor in Hockey Night in Canada lore, said, yeah. you think that one stunk? Will you see what I got on tap for you tomorrow? Okay, Elliot, um, speaking of the Carolina Hurricanes, as we're going to talk a lot about goaltenders on today's podcast, your thoughts on Antti Ranta. So he gets waived, he clears waivers, goes to AHL Chicago, the Wolves. Interesting story there. We've talked about that before. Just your thoughts on what's happened here with Ranta. You know, Sebastian Ajo talked about everybody on the team needing to take a deep look in the mirror after uh, this player was waived. You can tell that, you know, this one cuts deep with the Carolina Hurricanes. Your thoughts on this situation? 
Well, I wasn't surprised that Ronta wasn't claimed because he's a $1.5 million guy. And there's simply not a lot of teams that can fit that at what he's doing. I think if his numbers had been a little bit better or he had played a little bit better, what you know what's interesting about this is is how many people just reached out to say that they felt terrible for Ronta the person because they really like him personally. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, Jeff, this is a results-oriented league, and he's a $1.5 million guy uh, who's unfortunately this year one of the worst statistical goaltenders uh, in the NHL. So nobody was surprised he wasn't claimed. Um, You know, there was a report about Frederick Anderson potentially on Sunday maybe getting closer to playing. I was just told to be careful with that one. It's it's just really uncertain. I don't think anybody really has a good idea what Anderson's status is going to be this year. And the Hurricanes have cast their lines in the NHL pond. They are asking around. They are looking around. Uh, they would do anything on any goalie if it made sense to them. So I think they're kind of just going through that process right now because there isn't a ton of clarity yet on Anderson. So what I think we've got here, Jeff, is a little bit of a goaltending roller coaster. You know, we, we, they've got the teams with three goalies. Detroit, it doesn't sound like Iserman is too interested in breaking up the three-goalie routine right now. Of course, I'm always terrified to say that with Iserman because he's the kind of guy who, like, out of spite, would then trade one right after the podcast ended. You know, Buffalo's got three goalies up there right now, but the thing about Eric Comrie is, let's just say he was the guy you were going to move, he's at 1.8. And I think that just, again, just like Ronta, it makes him very difficult to move. I definitely think Montreal would do something if it made sense for them. And I'll tell you, the other team is Columbus here. Now, you know, I don't think they're going to do anything with Tarasov. He's just getting back, and they've got a lot invested in him. I mentioned Spencer Martin's name the other night. Um, you know, like, he's he doesn't make a ton of money, so he'd fit in some situations a little bit better. But to be honest... I wonder if the opportunity was right if the Blue Jackets were Doomers Leakins. I had a couple people on Sunday say that they could see the possibility of that, that maybe both the Blue Jackets and Merzlikens feel it's time for him to try somewhere else. But again, in the middle of the season, that's not an easy number for a lot of teams to absorb. So there's a few things that might have to happen here. I, I definitely think the goalie carousel is going... You know, I'd mentioned L.A. They put Copley on LTIR. He's out for a while. He got hurt in practice the other day. They've got Riddick up. I think L.A. is looking for a 2-3. Um, I, I don't think they're against um, letting Riddick uh, go with them for a while. Um, they do need another goalie to play. American Hockey League in that, that kind of 2-3 area. Uh, I think if they, they make their big move for a goalie, uh, Jeff, I think it'll be closer to the deadline, but I don't think they're in a rush to get a big name right now. But I do think the goalie carousel is is running around a little bit. And the other team that's going to have to make a decision sometime down the road is going to be Toronto. Although Martin Jones, oh, or as goodness. we say in French, Martin Jones, Martin. looks like he has drunk from the fountain of youth. Yeah, he looked good on Saturday. Can he I can really I did. say something about that Pittsburgh Toronto game on Saturday night? Sure. You know, I, I I gotta say this. I remember Butch Carter, coach of the Raptors. They traded for Antonio Davis. His first game in Indiana, they got killed. And Butch Carter was furious. Furious. He said, This is a guy who's supposed to be popular in our dressing room. He goes back to Indiana for the first time ever, and we got our asses kicked. That should not happen to a player who's popular. Ron brought up a game he was at. Pat Burns, when he left Montreal to coach Toronto, 
the first game against Toronto in Montreal, the Maple Leafs won in a great game. And do you remember Burns doing the big fist pump behind the bench? Oh, Jeff? the pumpernickels were going. I remember that well. Oh, yeah. The, the pumpernickels were going. Look, I know Kyle Dubas is not a player, but the Penguins know how meaningful that game was for Dubas. He may deny it, and he probably would deny it, but I don't believe it because I know how I would feel, and I think I'm like most people. That was a bitter divorce. It was one of those divorces that they make a movie out or turn it into a Netflix miniseries. It mm. was a bitter divorce. If I was in Dubas's seat, and again, I'm not talking for Dubas, I'm talking for myself, it would have killed me to see the team lose that way in my first trip back to Toronto. And if I was a player, I'd feel terrible. I, I really would. I, I would be embarrassed because you know the high fives that are going on in the Toronto suite as that one's going like that. I'd um I'd feel bad if I was any member of those Pittsburgh Penguins, but specifically any of the new members of the Pittsburgh Penguins that Kyle Dubas brought in. Those were the one. Those were the ones that I thought about on Saturday because I'm like you. I'm watching this thing, and I'm thinking, you know, the 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 sidecar story to all of this is Kyle Dubas's team returns to Toronto, and no matter what happens, that is going to be a story. Whether the Penguins win or the Penguins lose, the Penguins trounce the Maple Leafs or get stomped themselves. And that's what happened for all those new players that Dubas brought in. Those were the guys that I was thinking of. Th th those were the ones. And I, listen, I did think that Martin Jones played real good um, on Saturday. Happy for him. Um, and I guess the Maple Leafs were lucky that he didn't get claimed on waivers uh, when they sent him down. Um, a couple more things about goaltenders. Uh, one team specifically that I wonder about, and listen, you talk about the Carolina Hurricanes feeling bad for uh, Antiranta, the person. I get that. And I think a lot of people felt bad for Jack Campbell, the person. Um, he's struggling in, in yeah. Bakersfield. That's not exactly a secret. Um, Pulled again does, on the weekend. I know. it's He's having a tough time. Yeah. Uh, again, you cheer for the person, just one of the great guys of the game, and that's true. Ask anyone who's ever encountered Jack Campbell. Yep. Um, but again, results-oriented business, et cetera. What about the Oilers and a net-minding conversation slash decision? Well, Calvin Pickard had won the first two games, right, and he played really well. And, you know, they did not have a good game on Saturday night. I, I don't think you should overreact to one game. Um, but the whole team didn't have a great game. Like, they, they weren't very good. And, you know, it's tough when Florida goes two straight games without scoring and then they pump five past you, right? Like, it's a night you're looking, you're sitting there like, what happened? Look, I have no doubt the Oilers are looking. No doubt at all. You know, the problem is, as you said with Campbell, they were going to call him up a week ago and he had a terrible start on the Saturday night, or it was two weeks ago. I think they were considering the idea of, do we ease him back in on the road as the Oilers are about to go on the road? And now he got pulled from a game on, on Saturday night. So, like, I, I think the Oilers, you know, I've said this a million times. People who've listened to this podcast, they've heard me say it. It was always about, let's bring Campbell back up. But it, it he keeps on, unfortunately for him, he just keeps on struggling down there. I, like the Oilers are sitting there saying, I, I don't know. I think they're a bit stuck. And I don't have a good answer on this one. Like I was wondering if the Oilers would pick up Ranta. They were very guarded about it. Obviously they didn't do it. I understand why they didn't do it. They have to be looking out there and seeing what are our other options. Like the one thing that, um, you know, to his credit, Picker did was he bought them time with a couple of good performances. True. Now, yep. what are you thinking? Like, you don't want to burn out Skinner. Um, what are you thinking? Oh, by the way, we should mention John Gibson. You'll love this. So John Gibson was phenomenal through two periods uh, against the Devils on Sunday night. And he yeah, leaves yeah. for, because of an illness. I think he made 18 saves. And people are texting me. Did Gibson just get traded to the Devils <laughs> mid-game? And I wish I could show you the text I got when I when I checked it. And, and someone said to me, he's sick. 
honest. I'm not lying to you. Because <laughs> <Like>, <laughs> they knew how this was all going to be taken. But, you know, Edmonton has to be looking here too. There, there There's yeah. no question about it that, you know, we're, we're, we're getting close to the, the Christmas freeze. And, you know, someone said to me, the goalies are the most talk right now. And in addition to Gibson, Adam Henrique, who once scored a very big goal in that rink in New Jersey, had a hat trick against the Devils on Sunday night, sent up a tweet, always special to come back. I think he's probably someone who doesn't get enough attention. I think there's going to be a number of good teams looking at him down the road. He's an unrestricted free agent after the season. Good player. Now, I think there's some other teams that were, like, I'll tell you, Columbus, really tough week. You know, really tough week. That game in Toronto where they were very, very fortunate. They got the win. Yeah, they got two points free. Yeah, it would have been a disaster if they lost. Hey, and Saturday night, they had a really bad game at Elliot, home. Elliot, Elliot, what's Elliot, what's the old, you go back to that game yeah, against don't the Don't ask you how, they ask you how many. Yeah. The, the old saying, you know, sometimes you paint a Picasso and sometimes you paint a barn. It doesn't matter. You take the two points and you go home. Come on, Sometimes Elliot. you finger paint. <laughs> that was finger painting. Fair, fair, fair. But you know what? You're right. They don't ask you how. They ask you how many. But I just sense among the fan base there in Columbus, there's a lot of unrest right now. Oh, yeah. I think St. Louis was looking around at some things. I think Columbus is really looking at some things. Um, But the teams that are looking for goalies because, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's some teams here wondering how much longer can we go until we sort this out. And... You know, it was tough. Ranta, when he gave up that winning goal to Nashville on Friday night, you could see it. And I heard, you know, the way he was described in the dressing room after the game, you could see it. Like, sometimes teams have to be harsh. They have to say, we've given this enough of a runway and we can't let it go anymore. And Carolina was at that point. Okay, you mentioned a couple of things there that I want to pick up on. I want to get to St. Louis here in a second, but really quick, going back to that Edmonton-Florida game you talked about on Saturday, I'm of the belief that if the Oilers would have challenged the Montour goal, they -hmm. would have won the challenge for one very specific reason. And I I always look for this. Kachuk was in the crease? Not just was in the crease, but how he went into the crease. Like the puck Mm. wasn't anywhere near it. And what I've always been told by people who are in a position to explain things like goaltender interference, when you go in the crease voluntarily, i.e. not chasing a puck, not digging at a puck. You've been reading Dan Goes Brown today? No, no, no. He's really good on it too, though. Yes. When you go in voluntarily, your liability goes way up. Yeah. Way, way up. And I saw that and I thought to myself, I bet if they challenge this Montour goal, because Kachuk goes in there. Now, did the defenseman nudge him in? That might be a point of conversation. But it looks to me like he goes in on his own. So your liability is sky high. I bet they would have won the challenge. Yeah, here's think? why I disagree with you, Jeff. Because when I saw it live, I felt the same way. And, you know, Brian Spear, the producer of Hockey Night in Canada, we've been friends for 30 years. I, I said to him, I, I want to argue this because I think they should have challenged and the other thing that happened was after it was 2 nothing, and they let the goal stand, Florida scores right away. So, you know, I mean, it was 3 nothing anyway. But if you look at it from the overhead, Pickard runs into Nurse first, right? Mm-hmm. So if I was ruling on it, and I admit I'm not the be-all and end-all of this, maybe hockey ops would have seen it differently. But if I was ruling on it, I would say Pickard wasn't able to make the save because... He ran into Nurse, and Kachuk didn't even matter. And, you know, Brian Spear, the producer, you know, he could have showed that replay first on Saturday night instead of making me look terrible. But I think <laughs> Spears, he was playing a practical joke on me. Yeah. Um, I think because he ran into Nurse first, I don't mm. think Kachuk mattered. I, uh, I, I, I think, don't. I still think Kachuk would have mattered because it didn't allow him to move to his right. No, but but the thing is, he was already stuck because he hit Nurse. I mean, who knows? I get that. I, I, uh, I get we'll that. Who knows? I'll, I'll, I'm all I'm saying gonna... is, oh, I wouldn't audit this one, but I think they would have had a good shot at, at, at winning the challenge. I get it. But that's the second goal, and you're saying to yourself, eh, maybe if you're the Oilers, do you want to send a guy in the box if you fail? I get it. Um, the St. Louis Blues. So the St. Louis Blues story was Jordan Cairo. 
the St. Louis Blues story was Jordan Cairo and gets a goal. He's first star. The fans are cheering him. The fans are loving him again. And you know who I thought of? Who's that? Lou Skeezus from ROB TV. Lou Skeezus from Report on Business Television, who told me something a couple of decades ago when we were working together at 640. He was talking about making mistakes and what you do when you make a mistake. And he said, here's the rule you have to remember. Mm -hmm. I've never forgotten this. He said, when you mess up, fess up, and dress up. And that's exactly what Jordan Kyrie did. 100%. That's, Lou, that is that is advice. to a T when you mess up, fess up, and dress up. That's what Kairou did, and they love him again for each other. And you hear the cheers here tonight. You love these fans, don't you? That's uh, uh, awesome. I love playing here. I love this rink. It was a great win by us tonight. You know what we said on Friday's podcast is everybody's going to move on because he handled it the right way. And then he played great the next game. And look where we are. Ovation. You're totally right. That's a lesson to everybody. Lose rules. <laughs> By the way, notice St. Louis is getting the coach bounce to an all. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. You know what? Every coach who's <laughs> every coach who's uh, on a losing streak now is really concerned because teams are getting the coach bounce. St. Louis, Minnesota, Edmonton. If you're a uh, if you're a coach on a team that's uh, that's teetering here. You're probably uh, watching your back and maybe turning your phone off more than you're used to. I'll, I'll say this also. St. Louis, they were really looking around. Now, I wonder if it dies down because he made the coaching change instead and they're starting to win some games. But St. Louis was really looking around. And the other team really looking around, Colorado. They made that Thomas Tatar trade. So, And everybody is, is saying, okay, what's the other shoe? And yeah. I think they need to wait because they've got some cap issues and roster issues, but there isn't a contender in the league who isn't trying to figure out what the Avalanche are up to. I know some people suspect Lindholm, um, but they're not the only ones. But I know some people suspect that that's one of the guys that they're eyeing. So I'm glad you I'm glad you got us there because you mentioned this on Saturday too. I looked at the Thomas Tatar deal um he goes to seattle we know they need scoring and he'll get more opportunity to play obviously in, in seattle and they have some injuries and burkowski and schwartz etc that should help we hope um ron francis's team but i kind of looked at that trade like and i heard you talk about it on saturday and i kind of thought to myself okay so that's colorado establishing the jab and then everyone's now waiting for the right to come they're establishing the jab with the left, and then here comes the right. And I think like you so do. So you're saying the avalanche aren't lefties. They're not southpaws. They are they're jabbing, 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 setting up the big right. And I think we're all curious what that move is going to be because I have a hard time believing that that management group is going to be quiet or sit mm -hmm. on their hands. I think they do something. I don't know how big, but I think they do something significant to help their team for each. Yes, I agree with you on that. I think Lindholm is one of the guys they're looking at, but I'm sure there are others. Um, you know, again, I, I don't know what's going to happen, how much is going to happen before the freeze. And like I said, Colorado's got some roster issues and some cap issues. They might have to wait, uh, but they're lurking. There's there's no question that they are lurking out there. You know, I someone just said to me there's there's lines in the water they're not sure how much is going to happen like like for example toronto they're really going now you know they they win seven nothing without matthews we all know about the injuries they're one or one a goalie whatever you want to call him he's out of the lineup right now like it's bought them time like i think toronto is another team they're sitting there. I think they know exactly what it would take to get a, a guy like Tanev if they wanted to get him. But they're also sitting there saying, you know, what else do we need? What other assets do we have out there? They're, they're not interested in trading their two young Team Canada forwards, uh, Cowan and Minton. So if they want to do things, what other assets are they are they looking at out here? Like, that's what I think is going on out there teams are kind of figuring out 
of all the things that we might need to do, and Toronto might be looking at multiple kind of things to kind of fix themselves up or strengthen themselves, what kinds of assets are we are we going to need? Okay. Um, one more thing to, uh, to to finish up here before we get to the uh, Montana's thought line coming up here in a moment. Uh, again, more real good questions. Uh, I want to follow up on a, on a couple of things you mentioned on Saturday's headlines. One, Olympic meeting on the horizon. And we have a new phrase in the hockey lexicon, Elliot, rink shaming. <laughs> so that's Wednesday, I believe, the meeting. Um, it's... Uh... The League, the Players Association, the IIHF, and the International Olympic Committee. And one of the things that I've kind of been told there is that, you know, sometimes you wonder if someone is playing to an audience. Like, one of the things I've said about Batman before is when he talks to us, he's not talking to us. He's talking to someone else. And occasionally he wants to put a message out there that he wants someone to hear. And with a little bit of time, I kind of realized, like, when the governors walked out of that meeting on that Tuesday in Seattle, one of them was laughing with me about the arena in Milan. He's like, have you heard they haven't started building it yet? And he was laughing. And I said, are you serious? Like, could the Olympics blow up over this? And he said to me, no, like, Gary knows the player who want to go and... Gary knows the fans want to go and we kind of have to go. He said, we, we think we're going and we've been per told prepare to go. But he was laughing about the arena. So I think Bettman, you know, just decided he was going to see what hornet's nest he could kick up. And, you know, when I was talking to some people on Saturday, they said to me that there were people that were embarrassed by that. Like the people that matter... They didn't like the fact that was a story. And as I wrote last week in my notes, there's also a story about um, the, the, the sledding events, like the skeleton, the bobsled, the luge, and about how countries like Switzerland and Austria and Germany and the U.S. were asked, could you hold it if we need to do it? Like, I think they find all this embarrassing. And I think... And someone said to me, don't be surprised if that bobsled story got out because of what Bettman did. Because it's simply like, we, we this is embarrassing and we can't have this. So I think at the very least, if they're not going to play the hockey in Milan, they're going to play it in Turin where we were there in 06. I believe Switzerland was also brought up as a possible site, but they're going to, uh, it'll be Turin if not Milan, but... I got to tell you, like that, that sent some shockwaves through. I heard the International Olympic Committee. They did not like both that story and the slotting story coming out uh, mm -hmm. because it doesn't make them look good. It makes them look disorganized. What was that uh, establishment you had all your uh, post-game post oh, wrap-ups? I couldn't remember. <laughs> Kelly said he was yelling it at the TV. Camillo's, Camillo's. <laughs> so that was and you couldn't hear it? I, I no, I could no. <laughs> Kelly's got a good baritone, but so do. that story was we would always go there, and after our all of our hockey in Italy, we would go to Camillo's, and we'd have they had beautiful fresh Italian pizza, freshly made there, oh, and wow. they had two liter beer steins. Oh my! And and when I left the Olympics, I had no idea how I'd gained so much weight at the Olympics. <laughs> it just was a mystery to me. But There's those were great nights. And when Canada lost to uh, Russia in the quarterfinals, 2-0, um, I remember that the Team Canada Brain Trust showed up at Camillo's mm -hmm. to drown their sorrows. And it was, uh, it was, it was quite a night. It was, uh, th those were great nights at that place with our crew. So we've heard about the Frosh 15. There's also an Olympic 15 that goes along with it, or do we aim higher? I think it was like an Olympic Olympics. 40, I'm, I'm embarrassed <laughs> to say. Um, okay, uh, before we uh, wrap and get to the Montana's thought line, anything else we should go over? Well, Shane Pinto had an Instagram exchange with Thomas Shabbat on Sunday night, and I went to our Ottawa expert, Kyle Bacoskis, and Kyle told me that was the Ottawa Christmas market in Lansdowne, where I believe uh, Kyle has shoplifted from before. But um, <laughs> And he said that that's where Shabbat is. So last week we talked about how Pinto was going back there. I'm guessing that Shane Pinto is back there. Can't play until January 21st. 
Um, you know, I have to tell you, I I was watching that game. I really think in Ottawa, Mike Andlauer and Steve Steos, and and now you know Ryan Bonus is a very big part of that that hockey decision making yep. process now. Y- you know what it's like. There's that cartoon out there where a whole crowd of like thousand people is coming at one guy and one guy is saying, I'm right. And you're all wrong. Mm-hmm. That's what those three are like right now. They are, hmm. they are really, really trying to hold things off. Like they, they have told people we are trying to get to know everyone and everything about this organization before we make any decisions. Um, you know, it, it's tough. They are really, really trying not to make a coaching change before they are ready to do anything. It's got to be tough for them right now. For sure. They've got a vision, Jeff, of how they want to do this, but it's just not going very well. It really isn't. Uh, I want to give a plug to a friend of ours as well. You mentioned Kyle Bukowskis. He will be on with Alexis Downey, the great Alexis Downey, on Duckstream coming up this week. Oh, yeah. Why do they want to have a really not viewed highly episode? <laughs> uh, Kyle was charming, as I understand <laughs> it, and was excellent. And you know what, Jeff? Finally, you know, one of the I'd like to recognize the Winnipeg Jets as well. That was a butt kicking of the <sighs> yeah, Avalanche. That really on was on Saturday night. What a week for them. That big money on the board victory over LA. Like we talked about Pittsburgh losing to Toronto. That, that, that was a Gabe Velarde game. That was a Gabe Velarde game, man. That was but awesome. Still, like <laughs> they were they were down. They were yeah. losing to a really, really good team. And they came back. Like they know that's a that's a money on the board game. That is a meaningful game. That's the opposite of what happened with Pittsburgh. And then they beat the Avalanche really badly. They're on a really, really nice uh run right now. And um, you know, I, I'm really curious to see what Shevel Dayoff and the Jets do here. Like a lot of Shevel Dayoff's moves are really paying off right now. But when you look at the Jets in their past, whenever they've been close, they've added and they've got some time here to figure this out. I'm really curious to see what the Jets are going to think they're going to add or going to need. If we get to that point, because they look really good right now, but every good team always says, how can we make ourselves better? Interesting times. And yes, congrats to the uh, to the Winnipeg Jets without their lead sniper as well. All of this, we should mention Kyle. Yes. So this is even doubly impressive. Well done. Team Manitoba on that. We'll hit a break. Uh, Montana's thought line coming up next. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Time now for the Montana's Thought Line, Montana's Barbecue and Bar, Canada's home for barbecue. The I Didn't Do It kid now says... Try the ribs. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca. No giggle at the Simpsons poll. Jeez, Elliot. That was 32 good. thoughts. I have to at... say, that was really good. <laughs> 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca. 1 833 311 3232. Please save a little place in your heart for the pecan salad as well. All right. Uh, we'll start with Scott in Edmonton. This one is right up your alley, Mr. I, All know, right. everything about, I know everything about the salary cap, Friedman. Scott I, from Edmonton. I definitely don't. I can tell you that. Well, let's just see. Let's test that. Let's stretch your brain here. Hi, Elliot, Jeff, and New Dom. The past couple of episodes, there have been a couple of rabbit holes you guys have gone down, much to Elliot's chagrin. That's true. And I figured I would try a pile on. <laughs> is there... God. Is there a cap on how many times a player could have his salary retained in a trade? Yes. For example, could a team trade for a player in a four-team trade that would require each team to take half? By my math, that would equate to getting a player at 12.5% of their cap hit. Or could it be taken a step further and have it run through five different teams? Love the pod. Great job by all Scott and Edmonton. That's a great question, Scott. The answer is yes. It's two. 
So your contract can be up to 50% retained twice. So if you'll remember, for example, last year's deal between Ryan O'Reilly, Toronto and St. Louis, initially O'Reilly was traded to Minnesota and then he was traded to Toronto. So one team can retain 50%, the original team, and another team can retain up to 50% more. So in theory, Toronto or any other club could acquire such a player at 25%. So the answer is yes, it's two. Good question. All right. From an email, we go to a voicemail. And this one has a historical slant. Kevin in St. Louis. Hey, Jeff, Elliot, Dom. Uh, love the pod. Kevin from St. Louis here. As I was watching the game on Tuesday, uh, Blues and Red Wings, um, I, you know, Kevin Hayes scored two goals in about 30, 40 seconds, something like that. And after the second goal, I saw him return back to the bench. And I thought, you know, kind of wish he would have stayed out there on that same shift for uh, go for his hat trick. So my question is, I wonder, has anyone ever scored a hat trick on the same shift without leaving the ice? Uh, thanks, guys. Love the pod. Good job, Jeff. Good job, Elliot. Good job, Dom. Have a good one. Hmm. A little too polite towards us, I think. No, I was expecting a <laughs> shot there. I'm disappointed in you, Kevin. Well, uh, Kevin, I, I would say this, that, uh, and, and by the way, speaking of Kevin's, I, I remind me to tell you a story about BXA. Uh-oh. Um, the answer is yes, and it's the most famous hat trick, or at least one of, I shouldn't say that, one of the most famous hat tricks in hockey history. Because someone might come up, some nerd like <laughs> you might come up with another answer. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Mosienko holds the record for the yes. fastest hat trick in NHL history. It was three goals in 21 seconds, and that was in 1952. And while I have to say I have not looked at the footage from that game, I'm going to be assuming that he did not leave the ice in any of that time. Let me uh, let me push that one step further. You're right, Bill Mozienko did not leave the ice, and further, he almost scored a fourth. After he scored the third goal, right. on, on the next rush, he fired one and it just went wide. He could have had another goal on that same shift. The other one that I'd like to draw attention to is 1955, Jean Beliveau, uh, who scored three power play goals against the Boston Bruins in 1944. And because of that, well, not just that scenario, but because of the Montreal Canadiens and how they used to fill the net on power plays, you know what the NHL did the next season? That was when they cut the power plays after <laughs> yeah. you gave after you scored. That's uh that became a rule change, sir. Uh so for the 56-57 season once you scored a goal, the penalty was over. Um Derek King Do you know what other record was set on Mosienko's goals? Oh, there was another record set? Yes. Um... I actually learned this later when I had to introduce this player at a golf tournament. No, what was it? I'm curious. Well, on all three of those goals, Gus Bodner had assists. Mm. So he set the record for ah. three assists in 21 seconds. Oh, talk historical to me, Elliot. Talk historical <laughs> to me. I love it. Uh, Derek I, King, I, by the way. I can feel your voice just <laughs> softening. Oh, my, my voice all of a sudden has dropped an octave, Elliot, when you get <laughs> historical with me. Uh, I want to point out as well a couple of others. Uh, Derek King, 1991 against the Pittsburgh Penguins, three goals in one minute, 18 seconds. Uh, Braden Point in 2018, three goals, all power play, much like Beliveau, in one mm. minute, 31 seconds. That again against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, okay, here's a neat one. John in Toronto. Oh, by hey, the guys. way, before you get yes. to John, speaking of Kevin... Yes. We recorded one of our greatest victories last podcast. We did. Kevin said he was driving to hockey one morning, listening to our podcast, and he almost spit out his coffee and drove off the road when he heard our description of him and his socks. He said <laughs> we grossly misinterpreted the story and made him sound worse than it actually was. I had made uh, my I, night. I had a lot of comments uh, about that one, as I'm sure you did too. And someone, uh, someone from the league said, "In a hockey room, that's fine. Anywhere else, offside." <laughs> <laughs> so 
So there you go. Uh, John in Toronto. Uh, hey, guys, John in Toronto here. Make sure you try the AAA sirloin from Montana's next time you're there. Um, I have a question about NHL lockers slash stalls in the locker room and who sits where. Take the Maple Leafs, for example. Obviously, the players like Matthews, Marner, everyone who's a regular will have their own locker. But what about the fringe guys who go up and down between the minors throughout the year? For instance, Bobby McMahon has been called up and sent down multiple times with different players in his place each time. Would he keep the same locker in the room each time he's called up? Or would he have to find a new one if a different player took his? Given the superstitious value players place on things like this, wouldn't that lead to tension? As always, great job, Jeff. Acceptable job, Elliot. P.S. Sending support from the best university in Ontario, U of T. Oh, not even Listen, a chance. I think two things we can align on is our mutual disgust of any other university other than ours. So no way. Every time I drive by U of T, it's like driving by a bunch of zombies walking around. I've never seen a school with less school spirit than U of T. You know what, though? There is one one U of T building. I think it might still be a U of T building at one Spadina Crescent, which holds the largest collection of human eyeballs. Really? At one Spadina Crescent. I'm serious for you. You've seen the building numerous times, and every time I drive by it, I always remind myself, the largest collection of human eyeballs exists in that building. Yeah, you got me on that one. I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. That's what I got for you today. That's what I'm bringing to the podcast. <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question? I don't even remember the question. No, oh, you're, the, thinking, you're thinking about eyeballs. The, I am. I'm completely lost. Um, basically, when you're a player who's up and down, you take what's available. Now, I, I will say this. I remember, and I want to say it was the Sanders, but I could be wrong about that. I think, I believe one of the equipment managers of the Sanders told me once that you do try to keep when a player comes up and down the same locker for them. Therefore, there's a sense of familiarity, a sense of belonging. It was a team building thing they tried, which I really liked. I, I, I remember someone told me that story once, but it's not always possible. So you're at the mercy of kind of who's there and who's, who's taken what, but that team at least did try to keep it the same my favorite uh stall story was the bruins under zdeno chara when they came to toronto because toronto has two goalie stalls in the visitors room which are bigger for obvious reasons but when boston came to town the starting goaltender got one of those stalls and chara got the other one so whoever was going to be the backup had to dress in a regular stall and did it without complaint Okay, one more, Elliot, and um, we're going to go historical with this one. So stop thinking about eyeballs. Start thinking about okay. history and start thinking about goaltenders. Dan in Rochester, New York. Jeff and Elliot and Dom, greetings from Rochester, New York. Go Amherst. Is that you guys? I'm looking out across the lake, and I think I can see the outline of a podcast being recorded. Interesting. A bit cloudy today. Please let me know. With Tristan Jari's recent goal in mind, I'm curious if any goalie has ever scored a game-winning goal. I figure usually goalies are taking cracks at the empty net when they've got a two-goal lead advantage and a potential icing penalty isn't going to hurt their team's chances to win as much. So it must be rare if it's ever happened at all. Please have Jeff read my question so I sound smart. Dude, I've been mangling my <laughs> tongue lately. It's not going to make you sound any smarter. Ribs, pecans, good job to all of Canada. Oh, wow. Take a bow, Canada, according to Dan from Rochester. The answer is yes. There is one goaltender in the NHL who has scored a game-winning goal. Elliot, do you know who it is? I'm going to say... I don't remember any of these goalie goals coming in a one-goal game like where someone scored after, which made it the goalie goal, the winning goal. So tell me who it is. Martin Brodeur. And it's one that he didn't shoot the puck in the net. It's one where he was credited is, with is it, the goal. Is it like the Jordan Stahl one where he no. shot in his own net? Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like that. Um, it's oh, Martin, I, it's actually, Marty I Berdur. think two of Brodeur's goals were own goals. So Marty Brodeur against the Philadelphia Flyers, February 15th, 2000. The goaltender of record for the Flyers that night was Brian Boucher. And actually, wow. this actually winks at, a, at another sort of interesting twist to goalie goals. 
which is there's only been one goaltender to score a goal while his team lost the game. Do you know who that is? Let me think about that one. Well, first of all, on that Brodeur goal, the Flyers must have scored after Brodeur scored it because that's the only way that can happen. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, in a loss. In a loss. There's only been one NHL goalie goal. Can I ask you something? Was sure. Was the was the Billy Smith one that one? The one you got that it. was the you first got one. It. That was the very first NHL goalie goal, and it was in a loss. You're right. Good for you, Billy Smith against the Colorado Rockies, 1979. Rob Ramage. With I was trying to think there. of one I remembered that wasn't at the end of the game, and that's that's the first one that jumped to my head. All right. Well, well done. You put your yeah. uh, history cap on today for today's. Uh, version of the Montana's thought line. Thanks to everyone who took part. 32 thoughts at sportsnet.ca 1-833-311-3232. Montana's barbecue and bar, Canada's home for barbecue. We're back to wrap up the pod in a moment. Okay, Elliot, a couple of things to wrap up the uh, the podcast here as we look forward to another week of hockey. Uh, a couple of big hits from behind this weekend. David Pasternak, Jacob McDonald. Jeff, why does nobody listen to me? Why? <laughs> Is it because I'm annoying? Well, I mean, I don't. I, mean, I can't speak for anyone else. I mean, Is it just... simply because I'm annoying? Like, my wife doesn't listen to me either. Um, as we say you know, give good headache. Fun, you know what's funny about this is that, that whenever i make a joke about my wife on this podcast somebody from the family ends up texting her so stop <laughs> doing that people <laughs> elliot's talking about you again <laughs> she goes what did you say about me on the podcast <laughs> oh nothing hon <laughs> anyway they could have cut this down at the beginning of last week they didn't there were a couple of calls during the week, and now we got two big ones at the end, Pasternak and then Jacob McDonald. And, and they're not really guys that you would think would be guilty no. of this. But, you know, hopefully the the penalties that get people ejected is going to end this. But, you know, I said last week they're going to have to have a bunch of calls to knock this off because it's just happening too much and we're getting too many guys hurt. It's just bad. Because then your 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 sport ends up on CNN for all the wrong reasons, right? They might have to go to suspensions. And again, I don't like being the one calling for this because I like a tough game with lots of hitting. I don't like to see this. We're getting too close here. Lindgren and Malinsky, like when they were down, you're looking at this like this is not good. I don't know where this is heading. I don't. I, I really don't. Part of me just wants to say, you know what? It's a, it's an eruption that's happened over the last seven days, and then it'll calm down and go back to the way that it was before. But Elliot, mm-hmm. I, really don't, I really don't have any idea. And I understand your idea of going to the suspensions, but to me, this is, this is something the players have to do. This is something look, the, Jeff, pl- the, the players have to do. I look at it from the big picture. Again, I love a tough game. I love a tough, mean game. Just like when Kevin and I are working, I love a tough, mean broadcast. With smelly but, socks. With smelly socks. But I also worry about the way your sport looks, right? And this is a little phase right now where we're lucky that nobody is really getting hurt. And you, sometimes you just have to, it's like your kids, Jeff. Sometimes you have to dial down the temperature. Calm it down. You know, in that um, that Boston-New York Rangers game on Saturday that you referenced, the, uh, the Pasternak-Ryan Lindgren hits, there were a couple of interesting things there. There was some old-school code in that one. And no surprise, it's Jacob Truba, who was invited into a fight by Trent Frederick and obliged because of the memory that Trent Frederick has of the slash. You know, there's a there's a lot of players that in that same situation would feel no obligation to answer for it, but not Jacob Truba. I know there's a lot of people out there that really don't like Jacob Truba. I get it. I understand it. He's a player that plays on the edge. I like Jacob Truba. 
Yeah. And the old good school hockey person in me looked at that and said, you know what? Good on Jacob Truba. Uh, I'm with you. Oh, and by the way, I don't think it's impossible that Matthew Poitras could end up going to the World Juniors from the Bruins. They kept a spot open. I don't think it's impossible it happens. Um, the other thing, speaking of Trent Frederick, do you know what we got because of Trent Frederick on Saturday? Cookies? No. We have a goal. <laughs> now, hang on a second here. I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about one idea that someone sent me this week and oh, I absolutely no. love. Oh, no. So, for all the officials God help who, us all. Hang on. Who want to say we have a good goal. That's fine. But here's the thing about we have a good goal. The word good is boring. Or as Jim Collins famously said as a title of one of his books, good is the enemy of great. If you're going to dress up a goal by saying it's a good goal, take it one step further and say, we have a magnificent goal. We have a tremendous goal. We have a dynamic goal. We have a fabulous goal. What do you think of that, Fridge? Because if you're going to go, if you're going to describe the goal, really describe the thing. I think that is super stupid for every reason <laughs> except one. And that's a minute of my life I'm never going to get back, and I hate you for it. But the only reason I like it is you know my theory, right? That the referees I, changed I their call I, because you were doing I, this? I don't. I, I take no responsibility. <laughs> if that happens, we're going to know it's true. If, and if there are any officials listening right now, if you want to give an indication that you actually care about what Elliot and I talk about, the next time it goes to review... And the goal stands, please. We have a tremendous goal. We have a magnificent goal. (laughs) Jeff and I cannot change anything important that get more teams in the playoffs, but we can change the stupid stuff. You know, the other thing, San Jose, they had a they had a good uh, some pretty good games this week. Yeah, Anthony Duclair healthy scratch on Sunday night. That's worth watching too. Yeah, pay attention because Duclair can help someone. Uh, any team that needs speed on the wings. Um, that's a lot of them, if not all of them. Uh, and with that, we'll wrap up. Uh, thanks for lending us your ears. As the Beatles once said, uh, we'll be back on Friday morning again. Enjoy the next few days of hockey action. Three of a kind beats two pair. Back to your table. Flush beats a straight. Get your cigar. Royal flush beats four of a kind. Go play poker for each. Be a good boy.